Hey, it's Alexander J, the host of the NBA Weekly Recap Show for the Mojo Sports Network. So today was originally going to be a play-in tournament preview with Yuri from the show. And then today happened in the NBA, which was the craziest day of the season, probably. All 30 teams are in action. So usually at the end of the season, you figure something interesting will happen, but a lot interesting happened. The Timberwolves just destroyed their own team from within, and we really mean that. A rookie made his debut and then scored the highest points for a rookie this season. The Warriors had an NBA record for the most points in a first quarter with 55, and that's just three of them. So at the top of the show, you join me as Yuri and I are talking about how crazy today was, and then we get into the four play-in games in pretty great depth as we look towards first-round matchups. Uh, the team will have another podcast later in the week, hopefully talking about the first-round matchups for all the teams. If you can take a second to leave a written review for the show, uh, that would be really, really appreciated from the entire team. You can find more of Yuri in the links to the show, or if you need more NBA content from the team, my three-minute daily podcast is called B-Ball Bites, and Tom Dev writes for theraw.com. On to the show today, it's a great one. Well, I'm here with Yuri Bilsic, and what the hell has happened today, Yuri? We scheduled a little one-on-one to talk about the play-in preview, um, and it's the last day of the NBA season, and just absolute craziness all over. It never ends. We thought, okay, we had a podcast two days ago. Nothing crazy is going to happen. Look, I don't know if you watched all of the 15 or so games that were on today, but there was some nightmare scenarios for a couple teams, like the Minnesota Timberwolves, Uh, LeBron James, Scored 30-something, had the old crown moment, placed it back on his head. (laughs) What a day today was. Let's touch on uh, the crazy last day in the NBA for about five minutes, and then we'll go to the play-in preview like we've promised everybody. Oh, absolutely, Alex. It certainly was a crazy day. Best way to put it, because it always seems every season with the NBA regular season finale that, you know, so many different hypotheticals come up, and we saw that today, especially Mm. the Pelicans' opportunity to grab the fifth spot. But unfortunately... Results didn't go their way. Golden State absolutely wiped the floor with Portland as you know expected because the Trail Blazers <laughs> have been playing without Damian Lillard for what the best part of three weeks with his injury and them going into what you so called tanking as they did last season. So again, that's you know onus on Portland if they think they'll get the number one pick. Well, hey, they might yeah. be looking back to nineteen ninety seven. What happened to the Spurs when you know Boston? I think were predicted to get the number one pick that year. They had about a 25% chance, and that didn't eventuate. So we'll see what happens there come the ping-pong bowls of the NBA draft lottery on May 16. But going back to this crazy regular season finale, also Minnesota and the Pelicans oh, game was geez. yeah one absolutely bumper of a ride. And at the Edwards, again, spectacular. Had that unbelievable block shot on CJ McCollum. We see, you know, Dwayne Wade during his prime was, you know, arguably one of the best shot-blocking guards, John Wall too. And Mm. when Minnesota really needed a stop, he delivered it for them. So, again, that was a big win for the Timberwolves. But the repercussions of that, Alex, as well, with, you know, Rudy Gobert and Carl Carl Anderson getting into it during a timeout. And, unfortunately, what happened there, Rudy landing a punch basically at Carl and him. Square in the chest. Yeah, square in the chest. So, oh, it's just crazy to see what happened there. And then... It was basically, I'm pretty sure during that first half too when, unfortunately, Jalen McDaniels, I think he copped his second foul by memory and, yeah, yeah, went down into the tunnel and in frustration, 
punched the wall and broke his hand. Just immediately oh. holds onto his right hand and you're like, buddy, what have you done? Yeah, that Minnesota game, look, I, I didn't watch the whole game. I've, I've caught some of the highlights and I don't know if you've seen some of the reporting from the likes of um, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski about what was said uh, between Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson. Uh, we're a family-friendly-ish podcast and we can't uh, we can't recall. <laughs> we're not going to say what, what's going on there. Um a little bit on Rudy Gobert's side for me. I mean, I've never been on Rudy Gobert's side my entire life. A little bit on Rudy Gobert's side if you read some of the reporting. Um, but yeah, the reports are he was sent home during the game, told to go home and don't come back. Uh, we're going to get into the play and preview between uh, that game, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Lakers coming up this week. I don't think either Kyle Anderson or Rudy Gobert will cop an, uh, like an internal suspension. I think maybe they'll wait to see what happens. <laughs> uh, but it's a possibility there. And then going back to that Warriors game... Um, what the hell happened there? The Warriors set an NBA record for the most points in a first quarter today with 55. Like, that's how crazy this game got from the get-go. They won uh, 157 to 101 against Portland. Jeez. Um, that's only two of the games that happened. So, like, there's crazy stuff all over the place. Oh, absolutely, Alex. And considering what went down with the Golden State hitting 27 threes, I think they were 27 of 49 from the three-point line. And Clay Thompson in the process – finished as this season's regular season leader, shall I say, for three points, three pointers made with 301. I didn't even see that. (laughs) Yeah, I was just quickly skimming through the article and it mentioned Clay Thompson. I think he's the third player in whatever the last few seasons to, you know, hit 300 or more three pointers during the regular season. So full kudos to him considering, you know, what he's gone through with those two Achilles injuries, the torn ACL and, Again, you know, he had that really slow start to the season, Alex. I think he was Very, shooting roughly around, yeah, 38%. I'm pretty sure through the first month and a half. And then he's really picked it up. I think he finished the regular season shooting about 43.3% or something from the field, which, mm. you know, it's a little bit lower than his career average of about, I think it's 45 by memory. So he's, you know, his jump shot looks so much better than what was, you know, in November and December. And again, can't wait for this series when it does kick off against Sacramento oh, because that wait. house will be rocking, right, Alex? You remember back to the early 2000s when Sacramento were so legit? Look, as I know team? I'm old, but you can't say remember back to the early 2000s. I'm oh, not that old. <laughs> no, but just back then and at Arco Arena where Sacramento used to reside, of course, and basically what they had back then was this, that the lowest gravity, I think, the stadium of what the architects had built in terms of the roof being so low and therefore in terms of, you know, the deafening noise and the, and the reverberating yeah. around. It was like a jamboree back then. I think we're going to hear that once again in Can't Sacramento wait. come, you know, Saturday night over there for the first game of the 3-6 matchup. So it should be an absolute corker. And again, Golden State will hold no fears. They took the season series 3-1. And again, playoff experience does mm. count a lot because you think, We'll talk about this a little later on the week as well with the Kings and, you know, them having a lack of playoff experience. So, hey, yeah, this should so be one absolute belter. You're spot on. We'll talk about the play in the previews today for those uh, four teams uh, in each conference, but then we'll look at the playoff preview, hopefully next Saturday, Australian time or our Friday evening overseas. Uh, so we get a capture and we review all of those potential first-round matchups. I want to stick with uh, a teammate of Clay Thompson. I don't know if you saw this statistic that came out yesterday. Uh, Kevin Durant's season wrapped up. And as such, his shooting percentages were finalized. Uh, And he is a member of the 50-40-90 club for the second time in his career. Only the third player to do that uh, twice behind Larry Bird. And uh, I can't remember who that third player was now. I don't know whether... I said it on my own podcast podcast yesterday, but I've forgotten it. But yeah, the 50-40-90 club. 
It, is it, it Dan Nowitzki? It's either that or it'd be um, Steve Nash would be the other likely the member. But only 11 players in NBA, WNBA or G League history. And I say G League because um, Kevin Knox uh, in the G League now, an NBA player, uh, reached the 50-49 club, 50% shooting from the floor, 40% from free and 90% from the line over a season. And there's uh, minimum attempt requirements. I think it's 50 games and then a handful of shot requirements as well. So kudos to Kevin Durant yesterday for that one. Um Look, we might move on very quickly to the Warriors' arch nemesis this season and the Grizzlies. So in Memphis yesterday, um, reporting that they are unlikely to see Stephen Adams back this year with that PCL sprain. Uh, We'd spoken um, in depth about his importance uh, to Memphis in that front court and his defensive prowess and also that steady hand he plays as the vet on that team. Uh, Knowing he's out, the Grizzlies went out and signed Kenneth Lofton Jr., who one has one of the best nicknames I've heard in a few years, Snack Randolph. Um, if you don't know this guy, <laughs> have you, is that the first time you've heard that one, Yuri? <laughs> yeah, because Zach Randolph, he has a similar build to what Zach he Randolph does. possessed during his time at Memphis. Real chubby cheeks. I used to call him that just because, you know, his facial features used to just really stand out in the way and his, you know, upper body and shoulders remind me a bit of a sumo wrestler. So. Yeah, so Kenneth Lofton Jr. was the um, G League Rookie of the Year uh, and that the G League tournament's just wrapped up. Um, so he signed a four-year, $7 million deal um, yesterday. Uh, if you haven't seen Kenneth Lofton Jr. play, he's got a, got a big body and there's um, a couple of preseason clips of him backing down Victor Wembanyama and Wembanyama can't do anything to stop him. He put up 42 points today in his first game in the NBA, 42 and 14 against Oklahoma City. But that's the highest score by a rookie this season in the last game of the season. So uh, what the hell there? I don't know if you've got anything to say about Kenneth Lofton Jr., but well done. No, it's good. You know, it's good to see, you know, guys such as him get, you know, opportunities, Alex, because, of course, Memphis's front court is completely depleted and they need, you know, some solid backup in a way, considering, you know, Brandon Clark tore his Achilles and, you know, Stephen Adams now to use him being out for the postseason with that PCO injury, which yeah. he hurt. I'm pretty sure it was against he hurt against Phoenix diving for a loose ball back I think on that's right, yeah. January 22 by memory, that game. So... How significant Adams is, you know, lost because he was leading the league in terms of offensive rebounds at five point one a game. So yeah, and it really is a bit concerning for them too. Like they really thought, or at least in the media, you thought he was a chance to return. He, he went through some stem cell treatment as well, which you usually think maybe the first option of rehab didn't go so well. He's gone for that second alternative route, but no, uh, it doesn't look like he'll be back. Um, I did accidentally skip over uh, Jonathan Kaminga dunk for Golden State today. I don't know if you saw that. Again, a dunk I did, of the year. Oh, dunk of the year candidate oh. at the end of the third quarter. So, look, everything's happening on the last day of the season, including Udonis Haslam's last regular season game for Miami. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see the highlights from I UD did. today. Yep, I Tell did. us about it, Yuri. No, it was, it was great to see because we know, of course, he's been such a great, you know, serving for Miami Heat for over two decades and for him to get an opportunity for one final time on the Heat's home floor and, you know, display what he did. And, you know, three-point shooting has never been, you know, an arsehole of his, but for him to knock down three three three-pointers was, you know, really fitting. So I think it was a great way for, you know, the Heat to send him out in, in a way that, you know, really sort of typifies what he embodies about, you know, Miami Heat culture, the toughness, the grittiness and right throughout. And for him to basically play to what, the age of 41, basically? Mm, I think he's 42. Yeah, 42. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty incredible in itself. So, again, full kudos to him and, you know, great to see. You know, because it's always like that in the regular season finale, you'll rest your starters come, you know, the playoffs. And it allows for, you know, the second unit and guys who – 
play very sporadic minutes or no minutes at all to, you know, play 35, 40 minutes on the regular season finale game. And again, it was great to see him, you know, just dish out what he did. Yeah, he had 13 in the first quarter and he finished with a team high 24. <laughs> uh, he had a, a quote after the game. He's like, I had something to prove today. People have been thinking I just make coffee. Team has become firing. And before the game, I don't know if you caught this too, but Bam Adebayo gifted him a rocking chair at half court. There was a full presentation for an old man rocking chair. So good stuff. I saw that. I saw that rocking chair. Nice. Good uh, stuff, Bam. Also, the Mavs went down to the Spurs. uh, Again, not really an interesting game, but for the NBA sickos like us, we've spoken about guys by the name uh, name of Sandro Mamukulishvili. had 23 and 11 rebounds today for the Spurs. And for the Mavs, Teo Pinson had a triple-double, so 23 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists. So some of these end-of-the-bench guys getting minutes, trying to get some money for their next contract. I think Theo Pinson, Theo Pinson's like the – you know what it reminds me of Theo Pinson, Alex? No, go Remember ahead. Remember Robert Sacre? He used to play for the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers, yeah. the bench celebrator. He oh. always used to come up with these wacky celebrations like – punching his fists in the air every time. I think Men of World Peace used to hit a threat. He used to stand up and yeah. wag his finger in the air like he was the Kembe Matumbo. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. It's just – and to see, you know, Theo do that and, of course, you know, him getting very, you know, limited playing time throughout the season and just for him to, you know, do what he did today was, you know, great for him as well. But, yeah, he's solving the lines of Robert Sacre in terms of his celebrations. Look, I was about to wrap up and go to a break, and I've just skimmed one game I didn't look at the highlights for as you're talking, Yuri. Um, in a first-round playoff preview, obviously no one's going to be playing in this game, but Brooklyn versus Philadelphia. Philly win 134 to 105. Mac McClung has 20. Love to see Mac McClung get some points. But Cam Thomas scores 46. Where did that come from? <laughs> it's not the first time Cam's done that right, Alex. He's pretty sure he scored 43 in the game against New York, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Yeah. There's that one crazy game which he just completely shot the lights out. And it was pretty much, I'm pretty sure, when they traded away Kyrie and Kevin and all of a sudden came into the starting lineup and absolutely went off for a handful of games. And all of a sudden, Jack Vaughn just completely DMPs him onto yeah. the bench, like far the far end of the bench, the point where, you know, He's basically not in their rotation anymore. So again, you know, you know they're similar in a way. May not similar, but this is going back a decade ago when Chris Humphreys. You remember the name? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So when Chris Humphreys was the Brooklyn Nets starting power forward in the 2012-13 season. So yep. I think during the off season, the Nets gave him a two-year, twenty-four million dollar deal. He starts. I'm pretty sure the first month, and it wasn't until probably the back end of. November, November. So Reggie Evans then takes over. Yes. And literally Chris's minutes dwindle to the point where he's like in trade trade rumors come early March. Mm. And Mirza Toledovic, who the Nets got from, you know, yeah, Mirza Toledovic, who basically, you know, was hardly playing at all and all of a sudden starts getting more opportunities. And again, Chris Humphreys' minutes just completely just dwindled. Like he played a little bit in the playoffs and all that, maybe – Short reference him getting absolutely slam dunked upon yes, by Tash Gibson. Absolutely. In game three. <laughs> That's just the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, Cam that. Thomas is 46, not his career high. It was that 47 against the Clippers in February. So one short. And the very last thing, um, a bit of a unique thing, Mikael Bridges uh, for the Nets played his 83rd game of the year. Obviously, only 82 games in the season. So that hasn't happened uh, since the 2014-15 season where a player played 83 games via virtue of a trade. Now, look, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, anything else that happened in the crazy NBA today, 
or you want to pick a team to start our play in preview? Wow, I think the standings overall, Alex, I know there were so many ramifications. The East was already well and truly sealed up mm. like a week ago in terms mm. of the standings, but in the West, especially the four five seeds, if you know things have gone the way of the Lakers, they could have finished as you know the sixth seed. And I think it was it wasn't long ago; it was probably a month ago when the Lakers were hyping up their prospects about potentially facing the Sacramento Kings in the first round, the three six matchup. And of course, we won't see that. But do you know what's going to be more interesting, right, Alex? So if Golden State beats Sacramento in the first round and Memphis beats whoever in this two seven matchup. So it could either be Memf- could either be sorry the Lakers or the Timberwolves. So probably then the Lakers. Imagine that. Yeah, then imagine that in the second round, Memphis Golden State again. Oh, love to see it. Brewing, the brewing oh. rivalry for over two years has just absolutely been palpable. I'm putting my pick in for Memphis this year. I, I think they've got what it takes. But we won't. That's out. That's for next week. That's for yeah. this, this coming week. So look, we might stick with the Lakers. Yeah. So that's all wrapped up today. Obviously, no games remaining. And the first play-in um, tournament game will be the Lakers versus Timberwolves. So seven v eight, which is Wednesday Australian time. I think that's Tuesday evening overseas. Uh, as you said, the winner of this game will play Memphis as the seven seed, and then the loser plays the winner of Pelicans Thunder. Um, I don't know if you've got your stats up in front of you ready, but the teams have a fairly even record this season at home and away. Uh, this one will be in LA at um, said Staples Center, but crypto.com. Um, <laughs> interestingly, the Lakers are 84 and 41 all-time against the Timberwolves, so they really have it over Minnesota. Um, do you want to talk about health for the Lakers or do we want to talk about the trouble that started today for the Timberwolves? I think we can probably cover on both, Alex. So both teams finished with identical records, 42 and 40 on the season. Same with the Pelicans as well. So two games over 500, considering where the Lakers were in the first 12 games of the season, sitting very drastic at 2 and 10 at that point. And yeah. to really change their fortunes around because I'm pretty sure during, I think it was the day before the All-Star break, the Lakers were six games under 500. And for them yes. to completely revamp the roster, we've gone over that on a couple of occasions, and to make a serious push as they've done right now, I think, you know, it's going to be really scary if they do get past Minnesota in the playoffs, mm. in that plane, shall I say, and play Memphis. Because I think we saw a couple of years ago when the Lakers did finish as the seventh seed, they had those rash of injuries about midway through the season, and LeBron was one of them when he had that severe ankle sprain, and they did push the Suns to six games. So it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if that does happen. They get through that first stage, get into the playoffs against Minas- against Memphis as that second seed. That'd be, you know, really riveting viewing, playoff TV viewing. So, again, with the Lakers – getting a healthy AD back. We saw not long ago against Minnesota during that third quarter, Alex, where he basically turned his ankle and it was yeah. like a crazy three, four possession sequence where the play didn't stop anything. He was still on ref, the ground. Ref, yeah. yeah, ref, stopped the play because Andy Davis was sprawling all around the ground, clutching onto his ankle. He thought, oh, no, he's going to be what- out for another... Yeah. yeah, and, and at, at the end of that game, he said, oh, I feel okay. Like, <laughs> every time AD <laughs> sneezes, you feel for him, as our friend Tom Dev said on our last podcast. Like, the yeah. health for AD is a massive concern. Um, but probably what's been interesting for them is the emergence of Austin Reeves. Obviously, he's been talked about quite a lot. I've got uh, some 20-game averages, so the previous 20 games in front of me for the Lakers. The Lakers are 14-6 and six over the last 20 games. A big period of that was without LeBron James, and then a couple losses when he returned to that lineup, like I predicted. Uh, they have a bit of trouble integrating him sometimes. Uh, 
He did have a few bad games as well, LeBron. But the last 20 games, averaging 27.4 points, eight rebounds, six and a half assists, not shooting as well as his career highs. He's 48% from the floor. So he's averaging a LeBron at 27, 7, and 7, basically. Austin Reeves over the last 20 games for the Lakers, 18 points, five and a half assists, 56.5% from floor, while shooting 42.5% from three. Um, D'Lo, the last 20 games, 17 points, six assists, 42% from the uh, from three-point land, excuse me, on seven attempts per game. So he shoots quite a lot. And AD, 26 and a half and 13 rebounds. Shooting 56% from the floor on 17 attempts per game. So you got the feeling if one goes out, they can still readjust and move around with that supporting cast. They tried so hard to reestablish themselves after the, the trade, excuse me, after the all-star break and the trade deadline. Uh, what have I missed there? Do you still feel like health is the biggest issue for them? Is it chemistry? Is it something else? I definitely believe they've got their chemistry sinking at the right time, Alex. And the shooting as well, we spoke about, it was very porous at the start of the season. And of course, those trades for D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley have considerably helped the Lakers elevate their three-point shooting because I think early on in the season, they were shooting a woeful 29% from downtown yeah. and didn't you know help matters. They weren't taking a lot of threes as well. So Again, that was a real glaring issue that they had at that point. But now what they've been able to do, and I think the other one too, with the spacing, I think at the time was a concern with Jared Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis together because that's what will be the starting front court for the play. And if they do advance into the first mm. round playoff matchup against Memphis. They started that, today, yeah. Yes, is that Vanderbilt is able to hit those corner threes. And we saw that a little bit during his short time at Utah. And that'll help the Lakers significantly because – there's, at times, you know, the three-point shooting can go right, but also at the same time, they're taking a lot more threes and at the same time hitting them with, you know, more consistent regularity. So it's really holding them in good stead as well. And Malik Beasley coming off the bench, he's done that, you know, numerous times during his, you know, playing days at Denver and at mm. Minnesota and the short time at Utah. And having Reeves, you know, play 30 to 32 minutes and Beasley 25 to 28 minutes off the bench, it doesn't hurt the Lakers at all because they've got, you know, an assortment of big guys as well that they can rotate in between Davis and Vanderbilt if they want to use, say, you know, Wendy and Gabriel's giving them some solid production too. And mm. I think there was a couple of games there late in the stretch where he was bas- basically playing alongside Anthony Davis and, you know, really helped out. So I think... Again, they're clicking at the right time, Alex. And, you know, they always say if you're performing well in the final month of the NBA regular season, it holds you in very good stead come, you know, the postseason. And they've got that going exactly where they want it. Yeah. Don't forget Rui Hachimura coming off the bench for them. I've been impressed um, with him this season in LA. Um, I want to see his performance in the playoffs as well. Now, moving over to the Wolves, as we discussed, Jalen McDaniel, uh, Jaden McDaniel, excuse me, uh, broke his wrist in the tunnel in the old Amari Stoudemire punch a wall kind of <laughs> movement. I don't think Cole Anderson or Rudy Gobert will miss the next game with disciplinary action. I think Minnesota would wait um, if they're going to serve an internal suspension until the start of next season. Do you feel the same? Yeah, same as well, Alex. You know, again, these games are so crucial and it sounds cliche, but for Minnesota, we saw last playing tournament only a year ago when they beat the Clippers. And how about the noise in that target center crowd when they did beat them? There was such a real, you know, vibe and enthusiasm. And I think we saw it again this season, right? You know, in the lead in most, you know, NBA writers had them winning between about 48 to 49 games and there were seven games, you know, below that, but still, Hey, they got through, you know, those numerous obstacles. They'll basically play 
500 basketball right throughout the season, maybe apart from, what, late December when they'll a season low five games under after losing to Detroit on New Year's Eve. And, you know, they copped a lot of criticism and rightly so from their coach Chris Finch about, you know, players, you know, having this sense of entitlement, which, you know, really sort of at that time, you could have easily made a you know point for it because they were just really lethargic in a way. And then we saw, of course, late they really picked it up. And, you know, it would be nice for them to finish as the number six seed. They had those opportunities. But yeah, again, they they've got two chances and they beat the Lakers. It sets up a matchup from last postseason against Memphis, which was an absolute corker. So again, the one with Gobert and Anderson, yeah, it's not a great look, you know. In those it's a terrible look. Yeah, It's a terrible no. look. Especially as grown men as well, you want to try and diffuse the situation, try and, you know, calm it out because, again, you know, there are going to be a number of disagreements, you know, in those situations. And for that to occur, it did, unfortunately, didn't track all down too well. But in the end, they got the result they wanted with the win. This is a strange matchup where I think either team who loses this 7-8 matchup is probably at risk of losing the 9-10 as well. Uh, we'll talk about the 9-10 in a second, the Pels versus Thunder. Uh, just before we move on, a couple stats from the Wolves the last 20 games. Anthony Edwards, uh, 24.5 points, shooting 44% from the floor. So not great, but still putting up numbers. And Carl Anthony Towns, the last eight games since he's returned from his three months out with a calf injury. Um, 20 points, eight rebounds shooting 47% from three on six attempts. So that's probably a concern for the Lakers, his high volume uh, that he can take away from outside. I don't know if you want to give a prediction, Lakers versus Wolves on Wednesday. Wow. Oh, that's a tough one, Alex. I'll you reckon? Because with... I think it's a pretty easy one. You reckon? I reckon I, with the I chemistry that, issues the yes. Wolves have really been having, I don't see them. Uh, honestly, I think the Lakers roll over. Okay. Yeah, probably the same as well, Alex, Turn. Yeah, I think... Again, that matchups, the matchups with Memphis, I think, you know, if the Lakers do get through, they'll be able to exploit Memphis, definitely with the lack of big guys that they do have at the moment. But also, I think the Lakers, like Memphis too, thrive in the paint as well. So mm. that'd be, you know, yeah, real compelling, you know, strategizing for, you know, coaches Darvin Ham and Taylor Jenkins to figure out, you know, how do we, you know, stop both teams from, you know, getting easy points in the paint because Memphis absolutely thrives off that. Moving on, the 9 versus 10. This is my most anticipated game this week. It's the Pelicans versus the Thunder Thursday, Australian time, Wednesday, international. Um, the Pelicans, the last 20 games, um, they're 12 and 8 in their last 20, but they're 9 and 3 in their last 12. Uh, this one will be played in Smoothie King Centre in New Orleans, and the Pels are 27 and 14 at home this season, so both bodes well for them. Uh, last 20 games, Brendan Ingram, as we've talked about at length, is really uh, in a purple patch for his career. 27 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, shooting 50% from the floor on 20 attempts a game, really putting the team on his back. Trey Murphy the third stepped up for them with no Zion Williamson still. Uh, 20 points a game on 50% shooting on 13 attempts. And Herb Jones uh, only scoring 10 points per game, but he averages a plus-minus score of plus seven over the last 20 games for a total of 143 over the last 20. So that plus-minus score, you know, has its flaws, but over a trending period of 20 games, you get the idea that in that winning period for the Pelicans, he's been critical and uh, he's at the top of that list for the league in the last 20 games at 143 total. Um, have you been, I think we've discussed, we've all been watching a lot of Pelicans basketball. It's been very yeah, fun. Absolutely, Alex. Yeah. How do you feel about the matchup against OKC with um, no real big man for OKC? Do you think Jonas Valanciunas, uh, excuse me, Jonas Valanciunas is a huge threat or do you think OKC can game plan a little bit? Oh, I think it's going to be difficult for them, Alex, as well. JV, we've spoken about countless times when, 
They feed, you know, a lot of their offense, they can feed through him as well. During his time at Memphis, he had, you know, such monster games. I think there was one game very early on in his Memphis tenure when he was part of that Marcus Sol deal from Toronto to Memphis where I think he had like 34 and 20 rebound game against Phoenix. And this Mm. was very late in the 2018-19 regular season. And at times, the Pelicans can go away from JV, but especially with the Thunder's lack of big men inside, there's no perfect opportunity for them to absolutely attack them right in the paint because also the Pelicans thrive off that. They don't shoot a lot of threes apart from Trey Murphy and CJ McCollum who take about six or seven three-pointers a game. Brandon Ingram only takes, what, two three-point yeah, attempts now. Yeah, yeah, I think he only took three-point attempts today in the win over Minnesota. But again, I think the other thing for the Pelicans they will have to worry about too is getting back on defense. And that's something that was really hard to harped on by the Pelicans coaching staff led by Willie Green in that match against Memphis only a few days ago is that get back in transition because if they can do that, they can really cut down on, you know, the Thunder's easy, you know, transition points, which, you know, at times they really like to thrive on. So, again, yeah, again, it's going to be, you know, a really good matchup as well. I just think, you know, the amount of offensive weapons that the Pelicans do have is going to be a real major concern for the Thunder though. But, again... No one's expecting the Thunder, Alex Wright, to be in the playing tournament. It's just, you know, crazy, you know, to see, you know, the evolution that they've gone through from, what, mid-December being 11 and 18 to now being in the playing tournament, having, what, 15 to 19 future first-round picks in their cabinet. So Mm. it's all, you know, it's a real prosperous future that the Thunder do have as well, considering, you know, like many small market teams, what, 24 out of 30 NBA sides are small market teams, which get very little to no recognition at all. So, again, full kudos to them for what they've done. But I think that's where the Bucks going to stop there and the Pelicans just, I think, just too much, you know, experience in the way. What they what they experienced last season as well, beating San Antonio and be, beating the Clippers in the plane to get to where they are and taking, you know, Phoenix to six games in the opening mm. round, I think that's going to, you know, really count for something. A couple of things I should have mentioned about the Pels game today. They did lose to Minnesota, uh, but there was a couple of big scores. I think they lost 113 to 108. I'm staring at the stats for that game, the box score. Brendan Ingram, 42 points on 16 for 28 shooting. Um, Trey Murphy, the third 20 standard, as we talked about. Jonas Valanciunas, who I'm going to mention in a second, had 18 rebounds today uh, in uh, limited minutes, like 22 minutes. So you get the feeling he's playing healthy. He can really get inside. He only averages 11.7 rebounds against OKC in the last four games, so the last two years since the end of the bubble. So you'd expect him to average more, and that's a strange one I picked up um, in prep for this one today. Um, and CJ McCollum, 23 points today for the Pelicans. So OKC now, in their last 20 games, they did have quite a good stretch where they won a few fighting to keep in to that 10th position, 12 and 8 over the last 20 games. SGA, Shea Gildas, Alexandra. Averaging 32.5 points, five assists, five rebounds, shooting 51.5% from the floor on 20%. All of those numbers, I'm oh, sorry, excuse me, on 20 attempts per game, all of those are above his career average. Josh Giddy, 18 points per game, eight and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists, 43% from the floor in the last 20 games. And Jay Dub, the rookie Jalen Williams, 19 points. He's become their second top scorer down the stretch, uh, five rebounds, four and a half assists. from the floor. So they've really escalated their scoring. I think we know that defense can be an issue for that team, uh, presumably next year when uh, Chet Holgren returns. And even if they play Alexei Pokashevsky, maybe defense improves. He's not a great defender, Alexei. I think this will be a high-scoring game. 
do you have a pick or do you want to talk more about OKC before we pick? Yeah, I think I'll probably go to the pick right away, Alex. I've okay. got the Pelicans winning this one. I just, again, we touched on, you know, all the points that, you know, they've been through, you know, last playing tournament only a year ago to now. And, you know, the amount of adversity they've gone through. Also like the Thunder as well, because the Thunder were 28 and 34, if not mistaken, mm. during the season as well. So that's a really, you know, dig down deep to get in a playing spot. And, of course, Dallas is you know, spiral down the drain, unfortunately, you know, really cost them a playing spot. So I cost again, them a pick too. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, that's just the way it goes. And again, yeah. So from basically what, four years ago from them basically rebu- rebuilding to now. And of course I had that postseason appearance when Chris Paul played his one and only season well, during the 2019-2020 season and took Houston to what the final seconds of his seventh and deciding game. So, Really, when you look at OKC's history as well, they aren't down, you know, the bottom for too long. And we've seen it again there, you know, back in the playing picture as they are. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this game. Um, I might take my RDO from work off on Thursday and stay home and watch this one. Um, I also have the Pelicans. Interestingly enough, if we're assuming the Timberwolves lose in that 7-8 matchup, do you think Timberwolves-Pelicans, a game that happened today, who wins there? Because I've got oh, the Pelicans. Wow. I think if the Timberwolves lose against the Lakers, they're not winning against the Pelicans. Yeah, probably the same as well, Alex, too. I think if they do get through, then, wow. The game against the 1-8 matchup against Denver, they had last season the 1-8 matchup against Phoenix, they mm. can seriously push them to the limits because mm. we know times Denver's defense under Mark Malone, and Mark Malone has absolutely harped on this ever since he took over the coaching role in 2015, is that we've got to somehow fill the cracks in terms of our defense because offensively we're fine. But if we can at least, you know, cover some of our deficiencies and, you know, especially Nikola Jokic at the best of times where teams will constantly attack him if he is in foul trouble. So that's probably where the worry comes from if, say, it is a Pelicans-Nuggets first-round matchup because we saw one the March 30 meeting not long ago where – the Pelicans absolutely destroyed Denver 107-88 and Brandon Ingram was just toying with them from the mid-range. Every single screen that was set for him, Denver, I think in the way they were playing a little bit of a drop zone at the best of times and didn't cover him. I think there's an interesting, uh, in the research for this podcast, I, I use a website called playoffstatus.com, which uh, pulls up the analytics for usually during the season where everyone can finish up. And all of these teams in the play-in in the West and the East have like a 2 3 4% chance to win the first round. The Pelicans they had as a 6.5% chance, which was the highest out of all of these. And I think it's exactly right. If the Pelicans get out of this and play Denver, there is matchup problems for, um, for the Nuggets there. Look, we'll move on. We agree so far in the West. We'll move on to the East. And I guess we'll start in the 7-8 game, Miami versus Atlanta, where the winner plays Boston. Um, I don't know if you want to take this one because I have a lot to say, but you can oh, go. Oh, as well. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. It's the rematch of last year's 1-8 matchup. And yeah. We know, of course, what happened that postseason. We Trey, do. Trey Young was absolutely stifled down to the limits. He averaged only about 15.7 points per game, yep. 31.9% from downtown and about, what, 18%, oh, sorry, 31.9% from the field overall and 18% from downtown. They See, just if you're listening it. to the podcast, the difference between me and Yuri is I have to have these stats in front of me. Yuri's looking up and pulling them from his brain. <laughs> he's dedicated <laughs> his memory. And he's, <laughs> he's spot on because I've got him right in front of me too. And he, he's right on. Um, that oh, This is going to be a great game as well. I don't have what day this is on in front of me. I can't remember if this is Thursday I or not. I think it's it's a Tuesday night by memory, the 7-8 matchup, if I'm not mistaken, again. So, yeah, there's a lot to sort of play down in terms of, you know, the matchups as well. And 
I'll be very interested with Atlantis rotations, Alex. How much does Quinn Snyder shorten it down to? Of course, on the Echo Conwood will be, you know, backing up Clint Capella. And whether, you know, Jalen Johnson, who actually early on the season was, you know, a regular member of the of the second unit and then all of a sudden found himself out of favour. Now he's back in and playing, what, close to 20 minutes a game. So what does Quinn do in, in terms of, you know, his rotations? Does he shorten it to an eight-man rotation? Does he go with four guys off the bench? It, there's a lot of sort of picking and choosing in terms of what Quinn wants to do with this as well. And what about John Collins's minutes as well? Because sometimes they can be sporadic at the best of times. So, yeah, there's so much to sort of pick from with Atlanta, but also the defense as well. And who guards Jimmy? Because DeAndre Hunter is number one. And he was such a pivotal factor for Atlanta, almost taking to a game six in that game five. I think he had about 35 points that night. Mm. And he's been out for, what, the past week of a knee injury. He did play today, 17 minutes, DeAndre Hunter. Um, so did Jalen Johnson. He got 18 minutes um, in that extended play against the Celtics. They, uh, Atlanta went down 120-114 in the last game of the season. Um, you are right. So the uh, I'll bring it back to the top. Miami are 8-2. and two in their last 10 games against Atlanta. So eight and two, but that goes back to last year's playoffs, obviously. Uh, the last two games were the 4th and 6th of March. So about a month ago, Miami beat Atlanta both times. Uh, 117 to 109 on the 4th, where Trey only had eight points on two for 13 shooting. Um, and that game, Bam Adebayo had 30. And then a really close game where Miami came from behind to win on the 6th of March, 130 to 128. Uh, Trey had 25 in that game. Jimmy Butler, uh, he got some buckets with 26. And Victor Oladipo had 22. Um, I've got an interesting stat. Victor Oladipo averages 24 and a half games in April. He's only played in two games in April, but he averages 24 and a half games in April. I don't think we'll see much of him <laughs> in this play. I hope so, Alex. I hope so, but I don't think we'll see much of him. I think last postseason he featured predominantly really well. And there was that game against Atlanta. I think he had like 23 points. I was pretty, just trying to remember out of the top of my head. Might have been the fifth and the fifth and final game of that first round series. And of course he'd come back from, you know, that serious torn quad injury, what, four years ago when he was with Indiana. Yeah, Indiana (laughs) against Toronto, what, January twenty third that year. And yeah, he's gone through an assortment of injuries and you know, he's been in the rotation at times, you know, the team's been very ultra cautious with his, you know, rehab and making sure that he's right, you know, come the postseason. Again, What's the other part of Miami's rotation as well with Duncan Robinson? We've seen, of course, he signed that mega, what, five-year, $90 million deal not long ago. He's basically, you know, a three-point sniper, but to the point where in the past, what, season and a half where he's shooting way below 40% from downtown. Again, I don't think we're going to see much of him, you know. He got 35 minutes today in a win against the Magic. Um, I didn't expect him to get played so many minutes. I guess they went really deep into their bench, Miami. Um, blokes like Haywood Highsmith, 27 minutes. Um, obviously, we talked about Udonis Haslam at the top of the show, but Omer Yurtsen, Victor Oladipo, Jamal Kane all got more than 20 minutes. So they are kind of going down. Um, Duncan Robinson, 20 points. So maybe firing. I haven't been paying attention in the last couple of games from Miami. Maybe he'll he'll make a feature. I think the tail of the tape will be um, Trey Young and the defense played on him. His last 10, 10 games against Miami, he only averages 19.1 points. Um, conversely, Jimmy Butler in the last 10 games against uh, Atlanta, almost 26 points a game. Um, and his last 10 games for the season, he's been shooting 60% from the floor, which is crazy. Um, so 
gets to the line at 10 attempts per game and shooting a high percentage from the floor. Um, DeJounte Murray also could feature. He's had a, a strange season. I know uh, Tom Dev would call him an underrated versus confusing season. Um, I hope I've said that right for you, Tom. Don't get at me on our WhatsApp chat. Uh, but he's had 20 points per game, shooting 47 from the floor on 17 attempts in his last 10 games. So DeJounte Murray might feature quite a bit as well. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. And I think that was the key heading into the season with, in terms of the ball handling duties with Young and Murray. And I think DeJounte was averaging what, averaging what, about six assists, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That's this about regular right. season. So on what, 20 points, something points per game. So again, I think that was always going to be, you know, uh, ironing out between the two in terms of, you know, ball handling duties as well, because Trey's usage rate is so significantly high and DeJounte's in the last, couple of seasons at the Spurs was considerably high as well, considering he basically started out as a defensive, you know, maestro in a way, which of course he still is currently and that's what Atlanta needs because perimeter defense wise, it is shaky. But if you have him and now DeAndre Hunter who returned today for the regular season finale against Boston, it'll give them some chance, Alex Alone. You have Clint Capella and Onyaka Okanwu in the rims who are, you know, very good shot blockers. John Collins is, you know, an all right paint protector too. So They've got something there to really sort of stifle it down, Miami down. But also at the same time, the Heat love to play, you know, that slow grind, half-court offensive style. And whether Atlanta really wants that or not, that's a question that probably, you know, they don't really want to get stuck into, you know, the last postseason. So they really want to try and thrive in transition alone and try and, you know, get those lob players going, try and, you know, really catch the Heat zone, which they love to play, you know, zone defense, Miami at what? 2-1-2 two, two zone or 2-2-1 yes. two, two, zone. So those things, they're going to have to really try and be, you know, not not conservative is the right way, but take initiative. Take in, initiative is the term to really get on top early on and try and, you know, silence the heat crowd. Sounds like you've got Miami as your pick for the 7-8 game. Is that right? I do have Miami narrowly, I think. Narrowly. I think they'll just Yeah, they'll just wear Atlanta down, I think, and if – Whoever matches up on Trey as the last postseason, Caleb Martin or, you know, Jimmy Butler, then I think, yeah, that that's where I'm leaning towards Miami. I think just, again, the whole experience side of things as well. And if they, you know, the strategizing around Trey Young and minimizing his influence, they'll absolutely go a long way. I've also got Miami. So, so far through three picks, we've, we're three for three in step with each other. Interestingly, the winner of this game um, plays the Celtics. I don't consider Miami a threat to any team in the East other than the Celtics. Um, do you feel the same way? Oh, absolutely, Alex. So last season that went down to what the final two possessions of a seventh and deciding game. I believe they can take Boston to six or seven games. Now, I'm not just you know, saying it for outlandish statement. No, but I don't what think they've it's got right there. No, what they've got can absolutely take Boston to a tee. If you think get through Atlanta, they can match up Jimmy on Jason Tatum. They can match up Caleb Martin on him. They've got different matchups to really cause Tatum a lot of headaches. And same with Jalen Brown too, if they want to, you know, switch it up a bit if Jimmy plays on Jalen at times and vice versa. So they've got everything there to really sort of, you know, make Boston well give Boston a real run for its money. And I think they're gonna to have to work it, for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's not gonna be an easy ride. 
finally, the 9-10 in the East, we get to my Toronto Raptors versus the Chicago Bulls. Now, you might be saying, Alex, you've got an Australian accent. Why are you a Toronto <laughs> I lived abroad a couple of years and I moved back to Australia the year Toronto won the championship about a month prior. So um, those teams are, are quite dear to me. I've watched a lot of Toronto basketball the last few years and they're not having a great season. A team I have watched a lot this year has been Chicago, especially the last 20 games as they've got their um, stuff together. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, I think I looked at the stat earlier today, Nikola Vucevic, uh, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine all averaging uh, roughly more than 20 points in this last little stretch, which is good for them. Vucevic has been underplaying his contract the last couple of years, as we've discussed. Um, This one will be in Toronto. So unfortunately for Chicago, they haven't won in Toronto since October 2021 when they started 4-0. And and if I'm not misremembering that, that might have been the first year of the DeMar DeRozan contract. Um, I could be adding an extra season there. But they started 4-0 for that season and took down Toronto. Um, The Raptors' record at home this year has been particularly enticing if you're a Toronto fan. 27-14 for the season. That's 16 and four in the last 20 games at home. A big part of that is Jakob Pertl returning to the promised land back to Toronto as well. Um, the team's putting up 117 points at home in the last 20 games. So this is a team that um, on occasion does struggle to score. Fred Van Vliet's having a bad night. Um, the, Bay Bay, the Bay Blade, excuse me, Pascal Siakam's being defended. Um, they do occasionally struggle to score, but in the last 20 games at home, 117 points per game. Um, and Pascal Siakam's been big for them, 26 points, eight rebounds, six assists on more than 50% shooting from the floor in those last 20 games at home. Um, their record with Jakob Pertl is 11-2 and two in Toronto since the trade. I've thrown a lot of Toronto stats at you there. Do you think this will be closer than I might be leading on? I think it will be close, Alex, as well. But there's one thing I think that might differentiate the two teams come the playing game. I think it's the um, athleticism, should I say, of Toronto mm. with OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes. They're so super versatile. Jakob Pertl, too, you know, he's you no know, solid enough in, like, not being a, like, super athletic, but he's solid enough in the paint. And you have, you no know, Fred Van Fleet, who, you know, at times can really go hot and cold, you know, from downtown. But when he does get firing, then it's, you know, all cylinders clicking for the Raptors. But everything revolves around Pascal Siakam and, you know, his one-on-one isolation plays, his, you know, spicy piece, spin moves to the river, mm. so hard to contain. I feel as though with Chicago, especially the last month of season when they decided to basically play DeMar DeRozan power forward, I was thinking, I don't know whether that's the right strategy. They're going to have to start Patrick Williams at that spot and, you know, for Patrick to guard him because he's arguably one of, Chicago's best defenders and they you know they don't have many of them so that's where my worry comes from for the Chicago side of things but again both teams do play at a slow enough pace as well Chicago Mm. don't take a lot of threes they're like basically what bottom three for three pointers attempted Mm. and the Raptors around the middle tier for threes taken so again it's going to be super fascinating to see how it all plays down as well and Scotty Barnes who's you know throughout the season copped his flack as well for you know He's shooting and, you know, not being aggressive enough. And he has, you know, taken those steps in terms of being more, you know, aggressive in his shooting as well and, you know, taking a few more three-pointers. And He's definitely had games where that aggression level for him has peaked. It's probably like a peak and trough sophomore slump kind of thing for him. Um, Obviously, a standout season last year. 
But again, I think if you haven't been paying attention to uh, Toronto, he's had really impactful games where he scores six points. He's just everywhere on defense. His hands are in the lane. He can rebound and pass the ball. And then he has peaks where he'll score 32 and like 28 of them come in the fourth quarter. He's a bit of a wild card, um, which is great as a Toronto fan because you've always got that in your back pocket. But you're right. He can. It doesn't seem... I don't want to say he can be passive in games, but the ball sometimes doesn't find him when it might need to, or it just rims out. Uh, speaking on the athleticism, athleticism, excuse me, for Toronto, they still have guys like Precious Atua, like Malachi Flynn, Chris Boucher. All these guys have been getting minutes towards the back end of the season in preparation to try and uh, see if we can stretch this run. Um, Chicago, too, have been playing good basketball, I would say, the last month and a half of the season. They had a couple big wins, including that one against Philly. Um, in double overtime, that was a cracking game. But they're twelve and eight. Their record in their last twenty games, um, they do seem to have some strange end of game decision makings. Demar Derozan, obviously, um, last year would have been the clutch player of the year, I think, if we had that award. But they struggle sometimes to. Sh- I don't know if they struggle to share the ball, or do you find that similar observation when watching Chicago? Yeah, there's a lot of one-on-one isolations, I think, the best of times, Alex. It's the same with Toronto. Which works too. for them occasionally, but it doesn't yeah. at the end of big games. Yeah. No, but come come playoffs where it absolutely comes down to a half-court grind offense, it doesn't unfortunately suit, you know, well, it doesn't really pay off in terms of dividends for, you know, getting the right results. So that's going to be the one issue I think they'll have. And I think... That happened during you know their first round playoff series last postseason against Milwaukee, where the Bucks defense absolutely stifled the Bulls down to the point where it just couldn't generate enough offense in the half court. So again, that's also a Toronto conundrum as well. They also mm. have that same issue in terms of you know when it does bog down to that very slow grind, they find it very difficult to generate easy buckets. So it could be a painful game to watch. <laughs> Who knows, hey, come the postseason, you might see teams getting to, what, 80, what, 90, 95 points a game. Hopefully see more of that this postseason because it's been absolutely Swiss cheese D, as Clyde Walt Frazier would explain it. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> Look, the winner of this game um, will play the winner of Miami and Atlanta and the winner of this spot, excuse me, the loser of Miami versus Atlanta. And I'm in a similar situation as the West. I think if either Toronto or Chicago get out of this game, they probably in my mind, are likely to win over Atlanta. Atlanta's been a very confusing team for me this year, and I feel that with a full season and a full-off season under their new head coach, Quinn Snyder, maybe they return to some sort of semblance of structure next year. I don't think that's going to happen at the moment. I can see you nodding. I'm not really sure if you agree with that statement or not. Yeah, I sort of do agree, Alex, as well, I think. But who knows, actually? I was just thinking to myself, if Chicago plays Atlanta, Atlanta loses to Miami, then we saw those couple of matchups during the regular season yeah, where, where DeMar DeRozan, I'm pretty sure, hit the game winner. And I was trying to remember, oh, his name's disappeared out of my head now from Atlanta, who also hit the game winner too. So they've had some super, two super close games during the regular season. So it wouldn't surprise me in a way Chicago do, does win. And don't expect Billy Donovan to say, hey, Andre Drummond, can you play 30 minutes a game no. <laughs> during it? So unfortunately, that won't be happening. Or if Patrick Williams goes off, or if they you know, have Pat Beverly go off for 30. So, hey, it's just, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows about this whole thing? It's, it's the playing, right? And I think at first, you know, when it was first introduced, I wasn't a big fan of it because, you know, it's all just like you're handing out, you know, participation awards for people who finished you no know, third last or whatever on the ladder. But I think what it's actually done is it's more 
incentivized in terms of teams not tanking. Tell that to the Dallas Mavericks. But I agree with you. Uh, it's been a great uh, incentivization tool. Oh, I've just made up a word, Yuri. It's been a great uh, marketing tool for the NBA the last uh, week of the season where all these teams are still jostling or trying to get in, where in the past couple of years we've seen really teams die off. Now, I brought up um, that uh, Atlanta possibility because the winner of the eighth seed will play Milwaukee. So let's say ATL play, plays Milwaukee. I think that'll be a bloodbath. Uh, Chicago plays Milwaukee. That's a really fun um, matchup for Midwest fans because those uh, cities only an hour and a half roughly uh, down the road. And Toronto-Milwaukee could be interesting. Uh, we've seen that matchup in the past couple post-seasons. Um, I don't think Toronto are half the team they were back then, but that's an interesting matchup problem, I think, for Milwaukee. Obviously, Giannis likes to cruise down the lane, uh, spin and get close and can't shoot from outside, whereas Toronto would probably rather him play that way and defend him in the lane and, and push him to score from outside. Um, I don't know if you want to pick a winner from Toronto versus Chicago yet. Yes, yeah, so I've got the Raptors winning narrowly, hey. Alex. We're four very four. narrowly. Yes, very narrowly. Toronto getting up at home. I would not at all be surprised if this one goes to OT um, or if DeMar DeRozan just kicks off against his previous team. Look, we've just gone about 55 minutes off the dome, no stops, no edits about the play-in preview. And I'm with you. This is a, a concept a couple of years ago. I thought this was going to be a terrible idea for the league. I didn't see it working. Um, I'm really glad I was wrong. I'm humble enough to admit when I was wrong, Yuri. Oh, absolutely. And that's the best part when we, you know, in terms of our faults, if we believe that something doesn't work out and, you know, it eventually does and people come around to it, then, hey, that's great. And, you know, it'll be here to stay. I think the one thing that I'm not too happy about is what that potential of a, what, in-season tournament next year? Yeah, let's spend two minutes on that. Let's spend two minutes because I I do not like this idea at all, but I felt this way about the playing tournament. So I'm I'm realizing my biases are probably um, out of step with my ideologies or whatever's happening here. The play-in tournament could work for me, in my mind, if it's similar to like an FFA Cup in soccer. So in Australia, there's a tournament, I think it's the FFA Cup, where usually the last part of the tournament is the professional teams. But to get there, all of the games, I hope I'm representing this correctly, are knockout games. So to be your local club team, one plays up and moves on to the next round, your local team versus a team from uh, somewhere else in your state, then that team in that state versus another state. So it starts with these local club competitions and usually by the end of the tournament, it's the professional teams. I think something like that using um, you know, teams from the Euro League, using teams from the Israeli League uh, could really in my mind, bring together this global expansion of basketball. Commissioner Silver's looked at uh, the NBA Giants program in Africa. So you could have teams from Africa play a team like, um, excuse me, uh, Barcelona Basketball Club, or you have uh, Barcelona play the Nets and you have this kind of cross-league collaboration and then the in-season tournament would be played the final at the All-Star Game. That is how I see that working. Like, that makes sense to me. Why would you want to have an in-season tournament with no history, with no context, with just the regular teams that play each other every year? Is that how you feel or do you feel differently? Oh, yeah, I feel the same as well, Alex. It just it doesn't make any sense in terms of what what, what do they want to achieve? That That's the main goal. Ratings. Like, they want money yeah, and ratings. Yes, yes. Money and ratings always, you know, stand out from the tier of the, you know, the table. But at the same time, it doesn't, again, make sense. And that's where I feel as though if they do go ahead with it, it's almost like, what, the season's going to be extended by, you know, 
what, delayed by a week or two? Or, you know, what's their thinking behind it all? So it's just really bizarre is the best way to put it. And hopefully it doesn't go ahead because there have been far too many, you know, tinkerings around. And, yes, the playing tournament now has, you know, really catched on and has been, you know, I'd say now a garnering success. But this... Yeah. yeah, massive question marks over it. Again, let's come back to this in two years when we find out we're completely wrong and the, <laughs> the playing tournament's been great. But I just don't understand, and surely the NBA looked at this or the league office looked at this and gone, Real Madrid basketball, they could play Miami and that would be interesting. And I mean, the three MVP candidates this year are like four of the top four MVP candidates this year are all international players. I don't understand why they don't want to have this international lens on a, on a tournament that ends in the all-star break. But anyway, that's our little two-minute rant on the <laughs> in-season tournament. Again, 55 minutes off the dome, no edits. I think we're doing all right. No, it's been great. Hey, Alex, just chatting the plane preview. And, you know, this regular season, we've spoken about it like a month or two months goes in and, wow, we're already midway. And now the regular season's done and dusted and the playoffs are on the horizon. So it's been, it's been one wild, wacky season, especially in the West yet again. And I don't – I have a feeling it's – Probably not ended. I think we've got a couple more twists and turns coming our way, whether that be a 1v8 matchup that goes one way, whether it be an MVP candidate you didn't think winning. That's the beauty of the NBA. There's many stories to tell, and that's why we love the sport. Yuri Bilsic, thank you very much for joining me uh, as for this emergency-type pod for the play-in preview. Um, where can we find your stuff? I know you do basketball and AFL content. Yeah, so you'll find my work at zerohanger.com.au and you can also read my other work too at zerowicket.com.au and zerohoops.com.au and within hopefully the next week or two, I'll be able to have another website put up as well on Substack as well, just showcasing my work. So that's where you'll be able to find it and also my LinkedIn account too. Lovely. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Uh, if you've forgotten, my name is Alexander J. Uh, I, if you want more basketball content, first of all, read Yuri's stuff. Uh, but then if you need more audio content, um, I have a three-minute basketball podcast called B-Ball Bites. That's it for today's episode of the uh, usually the NBA Weekly Recap Show, but we'll call this an emergency play-in tournament preview show with Yuri and I, and we'll hope that you join us later. The show is edited by myself. I'm not going to do any work on that today. And we're executive produced by Ben McQueen on the Mojo Sports Network. Thank you very much, Yuri. Thank you, Alex. Cheers, Cheers, ladies. Ladies. <laughs> that, was, that went quick. 58 minutes, no stop. Woo! Wow, that went quick. I thought I was like 40 minutes.